fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final try The fantasy fullback dive is thrilled to welcome on now for the second time Pete Davidson of rotobond.com. He is a fantasy football and broadcaster also for WEEI Boston Sports Radio. We're having him on because he's the absolute man. It was a pleasure. It's actually how I got my start in this game. So Pete, yeah. how's it how's it going, my man? Great to see you as always. It's going good, buddy. It's going good. Um, and I, I hope I'm with EEI this year. You know, it's like... Um Right, you know, who knows what's going I'm, on? I'm, the, I'm a football guy there, so if there's no football, I might be. Uh, shoot, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I might Very be working true. minimum wage. So. <laughs> hey, really, well, let's fingers crossed, man, for the football season, right? Wear oh. your masks, people. Wear your masks. Seriously, Stop the spread. Save oh football. my god, I can't. I can't handle that. It's like how, people thinking they're soft for wearing a mask. Get over it. Wear oh. your mask. It's it's ridiculous. Well, it, it, it appears the White House is now down with the mask, so hopefully that's going to help. I hope so. But uh, I'm a New gonna... Yorker, right? So in New York, oh, like, you need it. Yeah, like, <laughs> there's very few people anywhere around this area that say shit about. Oh, sorry. No, can you I... can switch. That's, that's all good. All good. Let it rip. <laughs> like you don't hear people around here talking about masks. It's just like wear the mask, you idiot. What are you crazy? Right. Um, because we've had the big scare, and, exactly. and you guys have had it. Massachusetts, very similar. Yeah, it's been required. Yeah. It's starting to get a little lax. You see people out on walks, not often, always wear it, you know. But yeah, it's been yeah. pretty good up here. They kind of, it's exactly, Look, we're trending the right way, you, whereas a lot of it's if, not. If you can go outside and social distance, you don't need a mask. Exactly. Right? I mean, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a lunatic about this, but like when you go, if, if, if my family goes downtown, you can put a mask on. Just exactly. Like, even if it's just Simple. to make other people feel better, it's worth it. Like, exactly. don't scare people if you don't have to. Anyway. It's a minor inconvenience, a seatbelt, essentially. Like, just take care of it. Exactly. But hey, <laughs> this is actually like we're off topic a little bit. But this is a big deal. If if everybody in the country gets with it and starts wearing the masks, it increases our chances of having what we really want on this show, which is football. <laughs> exactly. You know, football, you know? exactly. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I don't know. I know people are freaking out about baseball. I can live without baseball. I know I can live without everything. Living without football for me oh, is tough. Oh, God. I, I don't even picture it right now. And I know I should yeah. prepare myself because it's going to be a hard day if that ever gets announced. But, man, I know they just announced the preseason down to two games. So, whew, right. there's some warning signs. But, yes, wear your masks, people, so we can have football. And all this talk that we're about to go through is not right. what, for, for nothing. good, right? That's yeah. good. Yeah. Because it, it lowers risk and we never really liked all those games anyway. Somebody do made a good right. point on Twitter the other day. It's like, well, which preseason games are we losing? The ones where the starters play or the ones where they don't play? Right. I'm not sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I hope, exactly. I hope we still get that like week three, the dress rehearsal week, hopefully. But yeah, who knows? It's, it's going to be tricky to see like if that's more of the evaluation for the roster and they just don't ever play starters at all. It's going to be all, it's just all so weird. And the season's going to be weird if it does happen and a, yeah. a locker room gets swamped with it. It's, uh, who knows? But <laughs> it's, it's going to be interesting, to say the least. Well, you know what? That's I guess that is one thing. It's <laughs> things are going to happen, right? Exactly. <laughs> we don't know about. August is like if training camps all open on time. August is going to be wild. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Um, <laughs> and and so this whole thing about player, like I, I don't. Like, if you were a player, would you go 
get COVID two weeks ago to get it done with? I, I would not. Get it out but, of your system, right? Yeah, <laughs> like everyone's it. like, oh, Zeke. Like, I, I literally talk to people who are like, I just moved Zeke up my board. Exactly, <laughs> right? He's not at risk to get taken out mid-season. <laughs> so, right. It's yeah, so sitting true. there going, okay, I guess I could sort I of see, see that. Right, <laughs> exactly. One less risk. Supposedly, if he's non-symptomatic after like 10 days, then he probably got a light case of it. Okay, I can see what you're saying. Deal. Sign it's me twisted up. stuff, but I can see what you're saying. <laughs> right. The factors you never thought would go into your rankings, COVID-19. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> don't you feel sort of like you feel sort of creepy analyzing someone else's sickness in terms of how it might help you? Like, it's oh, – I know. It's, <laughs> but you, like, you have to on some level, but you also – these earbuds are new. They keep wanting to fall out. So <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm going to be doing that every five minutes. No worries at all. But uh, yeah, so we're, we're here today not to talk about COVID, <laughs> although I, li- I like that a lot. But we're going to be breaking down, and this is going to end up being a two-parter. We looked at the agenda, and as you can probably already tell, me and Pete love to just kind of go with it and go with the flow. So who knows what type miss, of uh, tangents we're going to get on here. <laughs> I miss those phone calls I used to have with you like the year after I opened my site. It was the best. We'd, I'd look at my phone like two hours <laughs> later, like, what, what have we been talking? <laughs> about is is great uh but today we're going to be a really good writer back then by the way Uh, folks i appreciate it i appreciate it hopefully i haven't lost too much of the skills either uh (laughs) because pete's site again it's rotobond.com make sure you're all checking it out uh fantastic stuff but what i always love to do with uh with pete i think he does it as good as any in the industry is kind of look at the coaching schemes and and the carousel and these changes we've gone over it's one of those things that's Uh, somewhat divisive in the fantasy community i don't know why but coaching of course matters uh, how the, the the guy uses his players? Does he maximize his talent? And it, you know, you don't you want to get every edge. We're talking about using COVID to our advantage at this point. You want to get every edge as you can as a fantasy owner. So I think it's crucial to be looking at these schemes. And then especially what I, I love how you can do is how do the specific players? You watch so much great film as we're going to break down. How do these players fit into what the coaches typically like to do? So it's a hugely valuable exercise for me. I, hopefully you as listeners enjoy it as well because it's a huge edge. We're going to break it into two parts as well because there are a lot of changes we got nine total changes we figure we can't cover all of those in one show with all the players that are impacted so we'll hit the first four today the panthers the broncos the dolphins browns maybe the vikings if we have time we might save that just because the browns and vikings are kind of married together in a way as we'll break it out in a little bit uh but ultimately that's kind of the part one we'll be recording part two tomorrow so they'll probably be released back to back uh with the cowboys redskins jaguars giants and then some speculation on what the texans might be doing this year with a new play caller and a, a whole oh, new looking Texas. offense so we have a, we have a Ooh. lot to break down uh again two-parter um so pete what, what, what's your perspective before we kind of get on the whole thing I, I i it goes without saying that we're doing a podcast on this you think it's important but what's your take on that idea that you know coaching doesn't matter or whatnot like, what, what do you feel about that uh i mean i think i I, I'm close to agreeing with that if we're talking about like baseball yeah <laughs> or something like that but I mean in football it Gosh, I mean, how how what's the argument for it not mattering? I, mean, right. like, I, I don't I, I don't even know where to start. I mean, it matters to me on like every level. Like even if you forget about if the coach is good or bad, just what are his tendencies? I mean, we've seen um, I think the last time I was on your show, um, we talked I'm almost positive we talked about Linehan. Remember? Mm-hmm. Um, and like we know this guy targets running backs. We know he does. Like you just, and I, and ironically, I think he actually targeted him a bit less that season than we anticipated. Um, but I think I, I can't remember the, what year was that? It doesn't matter. But, but look, when you know a guy 
has when a guy's got tendencies, especially tendencies that override changes in talent. So, you know, you know, it's it's one thing to target your running back a lot if he's Christian McCaffrey, but like a guy like we're going to talk about Chan Gailey at some point today. Look, Chan Gailey threw crazy targets at Bilal Powell. All right. right. So, you know, you don't have to be a god. Like, it's just what he does on some level. So, um, you know, it's important to know these things. Like, you know, I'm a film guy, but when someone gives me data that, you know, this guy targets his running backs every single year, no matter what team he's on, no matter what running back he's got, no matter what the state of the offensive line is, no matter what alpha receiver he may have, well, guess what? I'm going to bank on those targets. Exactly. Um, To not know that information, uh, you know, it's um, it's like fighting with one hand. Exactly. It's just it, it's information that prepares you better for the fight. That's a, the best way yeah. to, to think of it. And I get like they're, they're right. of course every year. The stuff. A, a, yeah. And we and we'll dive into that a bit too yeah. as as we talk about player fits and whatnot. But it's I, I get it. There's every year some correlation traps. Oh, this guy targeted his wide receiver one so many times, so this guy's locked in. It just doesn't always pan out. But again, yeah. when a, a particular coach, as you're saying, always has a role in mind, and especially if he goes out and gets a rookie or, or a free agent that might fit that role, there's certainly things you have to pay attention to uh, with the talent fitting the scheme. And that's kind of right. what we're, we're looking to beautifully marry today is you'll talk about the players' talents. I'll be breaking out some schemes and you'll talk, we'll, we'll try to figure out how they fit perfectly. Um, yeah, and I mean, it, it's also important to like, to understand the, the historical um, perspective on data, right? So like when we, when people start giving me coordinator data from 2004, um, where right. committee backfields were like scarce, where most teams were still committed to to one guy, where rhythm running was still given a priority. Well, you know, look, I'm going to take some of that data and just just throw it out. I'm cutting it off exactly. because I don't think it's applicable. I think the paradigm's different, so the data's dirty. Um, and again, I'm not a data guy, but but and, and look, qualitatively or quantitatively, it's the same thing when you're talking right. about something like that. So. Um, even when we're looking at an individual guy, you have to start looking at the arc of the game versus the arc of his career. And there's going to be at times a delta between those two things. And, and you've sort of got to find the sweet spot. Exactly. Uh, but before we get into all that coaching stuff, as I like to do with all the Wolves that we've had on and that will be coming on, I always like to pick their brain. And I especially love having this talk with Pete because he does approach the game in a much different way than I think the, the necessarily evolution, whatever the word would be as things rise. You certainly have a different approach and I love it. Um, that's why I seek out your content because it is just a great and different perspective than I think what populates a lot of the uh, the pipelines right now. What would you say to people? I mean, so now you've kind of since then you have your own baby. You got Roto Bond. You've kind of partnered with Boston Sports Radio, so you've got your thing. What about other people just kind of trying to grind it out, grow? Do you have any advice for like people trying to break into the space? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah. Well. I mean, look, there's so many people doing this, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I probably follow 500 people who do fantasy. Yeah. I probably follow 500 of them. Um, and I, it, it, it blows my mind every time I run across a person who's got like 10,000 followers and I've never heard of them. Yeah. And I do this 24-7. So like that – every time that happens to me, I'm like, wow, there's so many freaking people doing this. Right. You know, look at the size of the fishbowl. And look at how many people are analysts who can't get in. There's so many analysts. And there's somebody out there who's been doing this for five years who doesn't even know about the fishbowl because Mm -hmm. they're so focused and they're not on Twitter or or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just the enormity of the industry is is hard to even grasp. Right. So so understanding that, I think one important thing is 
don't get pot committed on the career. True. Meaning, like, let's say you're an analytics person. I would, I would manage my career so I have other analytic analytics possibilities for a career than just fantasy football. Because analytics is an emerging field that's growing and gaining more and more acceptance. Like, I would want to make sure I'm employable in more ways than just fantasy football. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think the thing is that helps you in two ways, right? It helps you because I've got a plan B. But having a plan B gives you some mental clarity. It lowers your level of stress. It allows you to be True. more aggressive and to go for it. And because if you're if if in the back of your head you're saying you're saying to yourself, I'm either going to make it in fantasy or I'm screwed. That's putting a lot of pressure. On Huge yourself. pressure. Yeah. And you know, don't do that. I mean, right. and, and make your mind's like that's ah, okay. I thrive on pressure. Yeah. Guess what? We all do. <laughs> all, all the people who are at fantasy, we all thrive on pressure. So don't don't have an ego that's so big that you don't leave yourself. And let's go back to poker. Leave yourself some outs. Yeah. Have outs. Don't be. Don't have one <laughs> card left in the deck that can save you, as they say in rounders. You know, uh, that would be one piece of advice. And then the other one would be, um, profile yourself correctly, with no mm. ego. A completely open mind, whiteboard, profile your skill set. And then look at it. And I would say this is this is a really important part of the process. Isolate what your best skill is. If you enjoy that skill. Because sometimes some of our best skills, we actually don't like them. Yeah. You know, like say I hated watching film. That would be a problem for me. It's my best skill. Okay. Luckily for me, I enjoy the film process and it's what I'm good at. So if you have a money skill that you enjoy, then I think you've got something. And then yeah. I think you lean in behind that thing that you like and that you're good at. And then I think you have something. Um, I think one mistake people make is just trying to fit themselves into whatever hole they can find. If you're not passionate about it, you're going to get bored of it. And you're eventually not going to like it. And if you're not passionate about it, I mean, I, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but when I've got that uh, that fantasy adrenaline, when I've got my fantasy mojo going, my work is better. My oh, film yeah. work is better. My writing is better. My podcasts are better. My interactions with other people are better because I'm into it. I'm fired up. I, not, it's not so much that I believe what I'm saying, but I'm excited about it. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, so you want to try to maintain that footing as much as you can. And the way I think you maintain it, and again, we're all wired differently, but for me, um, trying to stay in the areas that I'm passionate about um, it keeps me going. I love it. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned a few times now, you're much more of a film versus the you know analytics type of guy, which is why I love having you on. I love reading your player breakdowns. I think you review film so well. So why don't you just give our, our listeners a little bit like what is the process like for you? Twenty twenty starting. When do you start grinding your film? How do you go about it? And and you know what are you kind of looking for while you do it? Well, I have a weird rule, and ha uh, Jim Hackett and I, who's my my broadcast partner at EAI, we, we, we had an awkward moment on the air last year because I said to him, he's like, how about that college game yesterday? And I'm like, I don't watch college. <laughs> it was like dead air. He's like, what are you talking oh. about? I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, Jimmy, you know I don't watch college football during the football season. Like, I literally, unless there's something epic going on. Yeah. You know, I, there's, yeah, every rule has an exception. But by and large, Saturday for me is DFS 
It's getting my Sunday stuff together. It's doing my own DFS roster construction, um, mm -hmm. going over whatever other stuff might be going on, um, finishing up the weekly rankings. So like, if I put on <laughs> some SEC game, this is going to take my mind and put it in a whole new direction. I, I need to stay away from college football on Saturdays during the season. So that has an effect on how my film process goes. For me, like the, the, the second that the NFL starts to ebb, Right. Yeah. So week 17, like the second we hit week 17, I start doing individual film work on on incoming rookies. Mm -hmm. That's my process. So most of January, most of February, um, most of March, most of April. That's what I'm doing yeah. It's just sitting there on YouTube or on, on my DVR um, and just watching players. Um, and it can get tedious. Um but the good part about it for me, I've said this a bunch of times, and it's because it's true, but for me, like January is sort of Christmas for fantasy because I love discovery. Discovery is one of the most exciting things. Hey, I've never seen this player before. Like, <laughs> I mean, this is almost embarrassing to say, but there have been guys who are huge names. And the first time I ever really saw him was January after he played his last college snap Yeah. Uh, because that's when I do my work. The, the, the negatives are some people know a little bit more of the underpinnings. But the positives for me is that I'm completely free of emotion. Mm. Like, I literally just watch players to watch players. Uh, and sometimes I'll come out with a take and people will be like, yeah, dude, no kidding. We've been watching them for four years. I'm like, well, sorry. I've been watching <laughs> them for 45 minutes. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, what can I tell you? Um, like, I had never even seen Clyde Edwards-Hilaire until the last two or three games that LSU played this year. And I'd never even seen the guy. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it only took, like, four plays. I was like, what's his name? <laughs> Holy crap, that guy's good. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I was he was instant love affair for me. Like, literally. Like, I, I he caught a ball and took it back up the middle between. And I was just like, holy smokes, look at that kid. Um, so smooth. So the thing about Hilaire is he's so sudden. Yeah. The stops and the stars are so incredibly sudden. Um, and there's nothing more fun than, like, just stumbling upon a player like that. Like, last year, um, 2019, I remember somebody said, like, you know, I thought Preston Williams looked pretty good. So I'm like, ah, oh, i got to go check out this guy, Preston Williams. And, you know, an hour later, I'm in love. Yeah. And I'm just flat out in love. I'm like, how <laughs> can this guy be this good? Like, you know, obviously there was off the field stuff, of course. So right. I'm like, oh, man, this guy's got problems. You know, he had the incident. But my pre-combine rankings, he was my number one receiver. And people are like, dude, what are you smoking? And I'm <laughs> like, look, he's not he's not going to be at the combine. So like, this is my way of saying, yeah, it's pre-combine, but don't forget about this guy. Right. Uh, unfortunately for me, he didn't get drafted. So like a lot of my film work on him went to waste because – I, you know, undrafted guys are so low percentage mm -hmm. and he was getting taken in my drafts in like the third round. So I, I ended up not getting a lot of shares of a guy who I absolutely love from a talent perspective. Um, but it's, but back to the point, it's when you do it my way, there's a lot of excitement in January. You know, I, yeah. um, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, guys before you get there, you know, uh, like Odell Beckham and Landry, I'd watched plenty of LSU that year. Uh, you knew that was going to be a lot of fun. I remember Sammy Watkins. I knew before I did my film on him that 
just just because the, the little bit I'd seen of him, technically he was so good at Clemson. Um, you know, some guys are just easy. Yeah. I, I, I like some guys will say, you know, I've done this much work on this guy, and I've seen X so and so plays, and you know, I'll be like, yeah, yeah, so have I. But the truth of the matter is, I knew everything I needed to know in five minutes. Yeah. Like that, <laughs> that happens. I mean, it really. You want to confirm things? You're like, well, I haven't seen this route. I haven't seen that route. You know, I I, I haven't seen. Gosh, I haven't seen any outbreaking routes, but. And, and I am going to go dig and I'm going to find all those things, but I'm pretty sure what I think already. Like, yeah, that exactly. How, how much of your process do you, if at all, I mean, there's kind of that whole analytics versus film. Do you work analytics into the process at all at any point? I mean, I, an example I would say is you brought up Clyde Edwards Hilaire, right? And I have, you know, I, I'm, I like watching film more than analytics personally, but I also do love when it's like a perfect marriage in the stats. I love yeah. like, let's say Graham Barfield does yards created and he's like, you know, Edwards Hilaire's <laughs> yards created would off the charts, you know, yeah. <laughs> I have a notation in my notes to bring up Barfield and Harmon. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so, so yeah. You know, I, what so stats you, do you, you look at? You know, yeah, perfect. You beat me <laughs> Well, I was just going to say that I have so much respect for guys who've melded the mediums. Exactly. Where, you know, Graham's great with film, but he takes detailed notes on everything, and ultimately his film becomes data. And, 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 and Matt does the same exact thing, and they're great guys, and they're great at it. Um, I follow both of them, and I have followed both of them for a long time. Um, but... It, I, as much as I respect their methodology, it wouldn't work for me. Yeah, it would. For, it, it wouldn't, and I mean, the way my mind works. In fact, you know what's funny about this? This is. I'm going to spin you back into yourself right now. <laughs> you may not. You may or may not remember this, but you came to me with an idea about basically doing this, about quantifying all the different elements and grading and coming up with grades for the players. And yeah. I remember saying, like, this is a really good idea, Nick. We could do this. Um, but the thing was. <laughs> You were you were really busy back then, and you needed me to sort of like get mad at you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I need a deadline. <laughs> you need to give me deadlines, Pete. You need to tell me I need to do this by then. And I'm like, I can't. I'm not paying you. I, I'm not your boss. <laughs> but I mean, you. This is something, and this is before these guys came along. I mean, you had this idea yourself. So just yeah. credit to you on appreciate it. Thinking that way. This is probably eight years ago. Right. You, I'm still in you know, college. Yeah, yeah. Maybe definitely. someday you and I will do this. I don't know. But but for me, the process of stopping and starting um, and taking detailed notes and then eventually I would end up leaning on the notes. And for me, I'm a little bit more – I really need to pay attention to everything and I need to focus. Um, if I'm constantly stopping and starting – I mean, look, do I rewind? Yes constantly. Yeah. In fact, I will rewind the same play 50 times if I have to, um, because I want to see what did he see here? What did he see there? What did he see here? All the way through the play to try to figure out how this player's thinking. Um, but, you know, <laughs> there's a scene in one of my favorite movies, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, um, where this guy wants to see Sundance shoot something. And Sundance takes the gun, he puts it in his holster, and he's going to take the thing out and shoot. And the guy's like, no, 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 just shoot it. So he has to just take the gun, hold it, and aim it, and shoot. And he misses, because that's not the way he does it. He has to be in rhythm, right? So then he puts the gun back in the holster, snaps the thing, boom, hits the thing, knocks up like 10 feet in the air. And, and that's the way I am. It's like I, like I, I have to watch film organically. 
Mm-hmm. Like if, if, if I'm constantly taking notes and grading everything in a structured way, that's like the data is going to become my end product. Not, I need the end product to be here, not yeah. down on a piece of paper. Because it, it, here's the point. I, I know I'm not explaining this very well, but it's, it's, it's gonna, I'm going to end up trusting the data more than I should. And it's going to mm. end up moving my opinion in a way I actually don't want it to move because it's great to have data, but sometimes a category means something with one player and that same category means a completely different thing with another player. And it goes back to that whole thing um, that you and I have talked about, which is um, the, the quote people tend to use these days is, how does he win? Mm-hmm. That, what, how, what does he win with? Um, you know, our thing was, what's his money skill? Same thing. Yeah. And some guys have a money skill that's going to outweigh negative data. So for me, I, I, I generally try to look at the whole picture. Um, and what's great is that I've got Graham Barfield. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So I, I've got, I've got Matt Harmon. So it's, it's, I can stand on those guys' shoulders if I feel like if I've got a player that I'm lost on. Like, you know, like my left brain loves him, my right brain hates him, my conscious mind can't stand him, but my sub-brain is all over this guy, right? I'm confused. My brain is arguing with itself. That's where guys like Matt are great. Like, oh, man, Matt's got data on this. This is good. My area of concern that I can't find film on, Matt's got a grade on it. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. So now I've got a guy who I know is really good, who's got a grade on the on the gray area in my mind. That's really useful information, and and that's why for me, that's why a guy like Matt is so wonderful. Um, but but for my process, it's better for me to just to see the whole all the time. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if that made sense or not. But that's Absolutely. The way my that's no, it makes perfect life. perfect sense. Yeah, you you get your whole picture in mind, and then if there's stats that you need to fill in gaps or to validate what you've seen on tape, it always helps in the the, the after the process type of thing. Everybody, I don't know what sports you played. Football I, I and lacrosse. You played, yeah, fo- football. <laughs> football okay. and lacrosse. Yep. <laughs> okay, there you go. So, um, I love football. I love lax. My money sport was tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was a tennis pro. I taught lessons. I coached college team. I played in college. And one of the absolute money skills for any tennis player, it's really important too, because when you're a tennis player, a lot of times, like in college, you're not allowed to receive coaching in tennis, in pro tennis, Mm. your coach can't coach you during a match. Mm. It's illegal. Right. Um, which is one of the interesting things about Davis cup tennis. If you've ever watched Davis cup, there's a coach on the bench. It's like McEnroe will go over between sets and, you know, the coach will be talking to McEnroe about what he can and can't do. And like, as a tennis player, that always blows my mind. Like what's going on here. But anyway, as a tennis player, you're responsible for in match coaching. So the halftime adjustments, the the between changeover adjustments, they're all on you. So it's really important. One of the things you must do as a player is constantly break down your opponent. Where are my opponent's weaknesses? What is he doing to me right now? Why am I having trouble with my backhand? He's doing something to me. You know, you need to be in a constant state of analysis and you need to do it only with your eyes. There's no data available to you (laughs) during a tennis. Well, there is now, but but you don't have access to it. Um, So I think the fact that I probably played a thousand tennis matches in my life, um, that I think that's where I sort of ground down the skill. Um, and I think sometimes people think that 
you know one sport, that sport doesn't translate. No, man, mechanics, trust me, all different sports, mechanics, it's kinesiology, that's all it is, right? Mm -hmm. It transfers. So like, like it, it, you know, I, over a course of several summers working under a really good pro at my club, I got my certificate to teach, right? And there was a lot of learning involved. It was learning on how to process technique and how to, like it's one thing to see technique on a sheet. It's another thing to then understand that, but then be able to apply it to an individual human being. Because right. we all have different arms, we all have different joints, our bodies move in different ways. So constantly having to go from the textbook to the given student or to my given opponent and break that down, eventually, you get good at it. <laughs> Repetition, right? So I think that's where the skill started for me was tense because it's a certain, you know how they say, you know, you lose your, if you go blind, your sense of smell gets stronger. <clears throat> okay. Um, you know, it's the same kind of thing. In tennis, this is a survival skill. Like if, if, if you just look at your opponent as this generic thing and you only analyze the sport from what you're doing, you're, going, you're not either, unless you're some type of God player, you're not going to be good. You're mm -hmm. going to leave a lot of points on the court that you could have won. Um, it's sort of like poker. If you only play poker from what cards do I currently have versus looking at what your opponents are doing, reading your opponents, what did he do pre-flop? Is that realistic towards what he's doing now? Like you have to watch the arc. It's the same thing. Um, so for me, I think going through that process as a tennis player gave me the confidence to do it in other sports. And I think we talked about this on your last podcast, but when I worked at Shea Stadium, one of the things I used to do was when I got off work at about six o'clock, there's an hour and a half to kill before a game starts, right? Um, and sometimes what I would do is, especially if I could get off work at five um, during BP, I would go sit behind home plate and I would just talk to the scouts. Because yeah. all the scouts from the visiting teams would be sitting behind home plate. You know, each one would have their little radar gun and their clipboard. They'd be taking their notes. And I would talk to these guys about pitchers. Um, and they would sit there, or, or, or hitters or whatever's going on. And I would try to learn from the scouts about technique and players and all that kinds of stuff. Um, and I realized that, wow, you know, a lot of my tennis stuff, like once these guys tell me what to look for and I know what to look for, I've got the eyes to look for it. Right. I just have to isolate the technique and all that other stuff. Um, and I started winning baseball leagues with pitching. Like, I would wait. Uh, I would just take 10 hitters to start a draft, like 10 bats. And then I would take all of my pitchers in the second half, and I would still win most of the pitching categories. And it would just, people would be like, dude, what the are you doing? And it's like, well, when you guys are out there at happy hour, I'm sitting behind home plate talking to scouts. Sorry. <laughs> you know, yeah. I've got access to people smarter than me. I am going to take that access. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when I went to the combine in 2014, I ran into this guy, Jeff Christensen, who was at the time coaching Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, you know, a lot of people probably just shook his hand and moved on. He was a talker. I mean, yeah. this guy was a talker. He was a storyteller. I sat there and hung out with him for two hours and I just listened. And he started telling me about Garoppolo and Garoppolo's feet and how Garoppolo's feet translated to John Elway's feet. And, you know, how... This, and he taught me all about this particular trait that I could look for in quarterbacks. And it's helped me so much since then. Like Jeff Christensen, if you happen to be listening to this podcast, <laughs> thank, thank you very Huge much. Huge fan, yes. <laughs> you know, he, he, and, and the thing is, when he's telling me this, I'm like, well, this is interesting. 
And this guy, I mean, I Cordell Patterson was walking through the lobby. And he's like looking at me like, what the hell is this kid doing? Because I'm sitting there in the lobby and Jeff Christensen's like got my right leg and he's not letting my foot move. He's like, okay, try to throw a pass with your foot like this. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm like I can't. My arm's coming up. Like my hips can't come through. He's like, okay. <laughs> and this is a funny line. He's like, now you know what it's like to be Brock Osweiler. <laughs> 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 because Osweiler, like if you go watch film, and he's right. If you go watch film of Brock Osweiler, his plant foot, the, the toes are pointed back towards the end zone, right? Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, if you take Tom Brady's foot, they're pointed, it's to the sideline. If you mm-hmm. take John Elway's foot, it's almost pointed forward, okay? And, and now I'm talking about your back foot. So if you're a right-handed quarterback, we're talking about your right foot. So just like little things like that. Um, and the, the takeaway for this for anybody who's interested, if you watch John Elway, look at how dominant he was throwing outside of the numbers to the left side of the field. He could do it from the right side of the, le- of the right hash. I mean, he was phenomenal. And part of the reason was talent, but part of the reason was just phenomenal lower body mechanics. Um, you know, and that was, you know, I banked that knowledge, right? Anytime I run into a coach who's willing to talk to me, dude, talk, <laughs> please yeah. talk. Um, and you know, the more you learn, the more you know. Knowledge is power, um, and you apply it. And you know, I, I, that's that's how I do it. I, I just listen to smart people. Pretty yeah, pretty <laughs> obvious advice that unfortunately but not it, enough people follow. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it's it, and part of it is you know knowing a smart person when you see yeah, one. True. <laughs> you know, but I mean, like if this guy, you know, uh, by the way, this guy, Jeff Christensen um, was drafted to play in the NFL. He played for the Colts. He went, he actually quarterbacked the same college um, as Romo and Garoppolo. Mm, wow. Um, <laughs> they it's, it, they play in this and they play in the same conference um, as University of Northern Iowa, uh, which is where my film partner, the guy I watch a lot of film with, where he coached. So there, like we had a lot of fun talking to him. We knew a lot of the same people. And, and he just gave us so much really good information um, about how you can watch quarterbacks. Um, and really, it wasn't like I just took it as gospel. I applied it. And the more I applied it, the more I'm like, wow, this is good stuff. You yeah. know? Absolutely. So, and hey, that's pick an it. example of a piece of technique that I didn't know. Like I never yeah. – um, and I think if it, and it's funny, like if you go back and look at some of my QB analysis from the five years leading up to that, that information probably would have helped me. Yeah. So like, running into Jeff Christensen made me a better film watcher. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's all about learning. And that's kind of why I do this part even before I dig into the featured segment with every wolf is just trying to pick their brains. How can I improve my own process as a fan and CNOs? How can owners out there? So, I mean, everything you're saying applies to your specific film practice, but it's just a best practice in any industry, whether it's fantasy or, or life in general. So I, I totally appreciate yeah. it all. That's why I start with these 20, 30 minutes every time. Just it's so useful, this knowledge. If, if, if I had been a math major and, you know, if, 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 if I crushed all of my high level economics courses and if I was a spreadsheet maven and, a, you know, a, 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 you know, if, if I could do all that wonderful number stuff, I'm sure that that would be a big part of my process, too. Yeah. I am slightly above average when it comes to that stuff. So I'm going to let the geniuses do that, and I'm going to shamelessly stand on their shoulders. Exactly. <laughs> Why? Why not? Right. Product. <laughs> exactly. And they're, and they're welcome to 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 take from my work whatever they want as well. 
Exactly. Is there any well, other? You but now let's kind of bring you the the meat of the segment, the coaching carousel, yeah, <laughs> uh, which you know often analysts they'll often say it's talent and usage, and that's kind of the equation here. But I think. A lot of times what gets ignored is what I, I consider I call the surroundings, the team and scheme, and just not a ton of people digging into that stuff. As we alluded to, the tendencies of play callers, how they use their talents, how explosive the offense is as a whole. All those things are crucial. The pace of play, as Thorman maps out, are so huge to fantasy value. So I just think it cannot be overlooked. Um, and that's why we're here today. I like kind of breaking down the analytical side of this person targeted these this rate at that. I know you love breaking down the players and talents so i think as i said earlier it's going to be a beautiful marriage here um and we're going to we're going to cover the uh the first four teams on the list today panthers uh broncos dolphins and browns and possibly the vikings as well i know you got to get going at some point so actually yeah. i just got a message i've got at least another 20 minutes so awesome We've got at least 40 minutes right now. So awesome. We're okay. Perfect. All righty. Sounds good. So we can really <laughs> dig in here, which I love. Yeah. So why don't, why don't we start there with what I think is my favorite coaching move of the offseason. That's Joe Brady going to the Panthers. Matt Rule, obviously the head coach there, but right. we, it's going to be the Joe Brady show. I mean, yeah. you know, if there's a single hire from this crop that I'm going to consider that next, you know, McVeigh wonderkin type, it's to me, it's Brady. He seems like a really sharp guy. All his interviews. Yeah. He had Heisman winning Joe Burrow. So for those who don't, no, he came from LSU, uh, was pretty much responsible for that explosion they had, historic offense last year. Yes, he had Burrow, but Burrow was also there in 2018. And we, we look at the stats here, this, uh, you know, Brady right. coming from that Saints offense. Burrow leaps from eh, unspectacular, certainly not the number one overall locked-in prospect, to then unstoppable. Throws the NCAA's most, third most yards, 5,671 in most TDs of all time, 2,777 yards and 44 touchdowns more than the year prior. So, I mean, that didn't just happen because Burrow got that much better in a year off. I think a lot of it was this offense that Brady brought. Um, and, and same with LSU, 568 yards, 48.4 points per game, just insanity. Uh, in only below Washington State in passing yards at 401.6 per game. So those are the stats there. And, and he did and, it in the SEC. And he did it exactly. Not against joke competitions either. Like this, this was insane. Anybody who watched LSU can appreciate the offense. Um, and, and a lot of that, again, Joe Brady coming in as that passing game guy. He talks a lot about getting speed in space, quick strikes, letting people do their thing, and then setting up timely deep shots. So to me, we got Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson – Tons of weapons. How do you kind of see them all fitting in here with Joe Brady and this offense that might be coming in? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I had a long disagreement with some Panther fan before the draft. They were convinced Curtis Samuel was getting traded. And I'm like, <laughs> I can think of a lot of reasons why you wouldn't want to do that. And it's yeah. not going to happen. And, and I had this little group of Panther people like telling me how wrong I was. And it's, it's funny because fan group think is funny when you run into it. Like clearly there was some kind of thing where – the Panther boards on these, the Panther fans on the boards had decided this was the thing. And I had no, I didn't know about the rumor. So I'm just like, what are you crackheads talking about? You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, like they're not getting rid of Curtis Samuel. Um, well, like, well, they brought in Robbie Anderson. That, that means they're getting rid of Samuel. Like, no, it doesn't. Um, and the reason is because, well, there's a couple reasons. First of all, I think they just liked Robbie Anderson and he was a value, but I also think it has to do with, you know, Brady and they like to run these bunch formations. Um, you know, if, and for anybody who wants to, if you're having trouble visualizing this, well, think of the Rams because you you talked about McVeigh there on the intro. Uh, Brady could absolutely be the next McVeigh, and we might be looking at this receiver group similar to Cooks, yeah. Woods, 
you know, um, uh, and Cooper Cup. So, you know, I think, first of all, look at the, the trifecta of receivers. They have strong similarities, but they also have each guy has sort of an individual strength mm-hmm. that that when you look at route design, the way they may set these guys up, you know, I think all three will be on the field quite a bit. Now, think about defenses. If you've got Robbie Anderson, Curtis Samuel, and DJ Moore all in the field, you've got a problem. You've got a problem because they're all legitimate deep threats, particularly Anderson and Samuel, okay? Mm-hmm. DJ Moore also definitely a deep threat, but, you know, Samuel and Robbie Anderson have afterburners. <laughs> right? oh, yeah. Like these guys, like when the ball is in the air, these guys extend their – their separation you will like Mm -hmm. and this is like robbie anderson i know really well and he is devastating downfield outside the numbers now that's not necessarily bridgewater strength and this is a tangent but i do think robbie anderson was a better fit for darnold than he is for bridgewater but scheme wise he gives this scheme something very special because they can be working Samuel on underneath stuff. They can be working DJ Moore yep. on an out route, and they they can still have Robbie Anderson stretching the field, popping the lid, right? Yeah. But Teddy Bridgewater is a great pre-snap read quarterback, right? So he's going to see, he's going to know, the, I mean, he's not going to be like, oh, each cornerback is some generic guy. He's going to know which cornerback they want to attack. That quarterback is going to be on one of his receivers, and they're and it's like normally you have three receivers out there. Maybe one of them is your speed guy. All three of them are the speed yeah. guys, so they're going to find your they're going to locate your weak corner, and they're probably going to have a lot of plays where the receivers are going their their route is going to depend on what number lines up in front of them, mm. right? So th- there are so many things you can do with an off like w- with a Brady kind of offense where everything is about ball distribution and yards after the catch. And then they're going to keep you distance with a liberal amount of deep shots against your weaker, like they're not going to take a deep shot generically. Deep shots are going to be targeted. Yeah. So when they're taking deep shots, you're going to be like, Oh crap, they've got player X, you know, isolated and they're taking a deep shot. So, you know, Bridgewater, people talk about Bridgewater in terms of you can't throw the deep ball. He's not a gifted deep ball thrower, but he's a good timing deep ball thrower. And if mm. you look at the way this offense sets up, most of their deep balls should be more timing deep balls than arm deep balls, if you will. Joe Flacco kind of deep balls, if you will. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I two, – two separate things here. Real – like we, we look at this for real NFL, and I love what they did. Now, for fantasy, it's a little dice here. Because mm. what we really love to see is like everything go to DJ Moore, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, like if Chan Gailey had come down to this offense, we'd be having one discussion. I would probably be saying, get ready for DJ Moore to get 150 targets or something like that. Like, like think of DJ Moore the way we thought of Stevie Anderson, or, or I'm sorry, uh, Stevie um, Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> Stevie Johnson. Stevie Anderson was a Jet. My bad. <laughs> um, you know, Gailey has a tendency to decide who his best player is and go after that player to target him a lot. Right. Or when he was with the jets, he had Decker and Brandon Marshall. He would target those two guys a ton. Right. Brady's a little bit different. Brady is about spreading the field, changing formation, using motion, finding out what it's going to do to your coverage and then attacking you where we like what we see Mm -hmm. pre-snap. Right. So, 
and, and we haven't even talked about McCaffrey. We haven't talked about McCaffrey yet. And talked, <laughs> right. And, and Ian Thomas is a huge factor here, right? Because they'll do that bunch. You see a bunch formation on the right side. At LSU, they ran a lot of empty backfield, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of the empty, you may see a lot of empty backfield looks from the Panthers, but it's going to be after they break the huddle. So McCaffrey's going to be a running back when they're in the huddle. They're going to come out of the huddle. They're going to motion him out left with a bunch formation on the right. Then they'll like slot Ian Thomas. All of a sudden, you're looking at five receivers, empty backfield, and the defense can't change personnel. Yeah. So linebacker's going to be on somebody, and there's going to probably be a safety on somebody, right? So it's really just going to be a matter of who's got the safety or who's got the linebacker. Now, sorry that this has taken so long. I, it's all great information. Keep, but, keep letting it rip. <laughs> but where, where this is problematic, and I love DJ Moore. Like, I'm not saying anything negative about DJ Moore, but this paradigm doesn't help DJ Moore because mm-hmm. DJ Moore is generally going to be the guy they don't forget about, right? So I, I'm sure DJ Moore is going to get his, but the idea that he's going to have a breakout season from a target perspective, I would be careful on like leaning into that. I mean, it could happen. Mm-hmm. I think he's the best of the three, but because all three have a base level of competence, they all have core competencies, they're all going to be on the field. Because Bridgewater is a vision quarterback and a process quarterback, he is going to be like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees. He's going to find the path of least resistance. And now mm-hmm. just let's go back one step further and remember Bridgewater and Brady have history. Oh, they, yeah. were together. they were together in 2018. They know each other. So, like, this was not some random thing. Let's pick up Teddy Bridgewater. I think Brady might have had something to do with that. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I, what I was reading was Brady, when he was brought into the Saints, his job was actually to pick the speed up with Bridgewater when they traded right. for him, get him learning the offense, all that. So he, like, literally was almost his personal assistant in that way. So it, it's certainly not a coincidence that Teddy I Bridgewater ends that, up there. But I figured it was something like that. I mean, it, it, like I said, like, smart people – you know how the cheer like if you, if the last six Cheerios clean together in the bowl? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in my opinion, smart people do that. Right. They tend uh, to find each other and hang out, share information. And I think competence. I think competent coaches like competent players. Uh, coaches who like to whiteboard like quarterbacks who can digest the whiteboard. And exactly. I think Bridgewater. I think Bridgewater is one of those guys. Hundred percent. So, some takeaways from all that, and then maybe a couple follow up questions too. One is: yeah. Is DJ Moore being a little bit overhyped? It, it seems like, at least from a sheer target perspective, because the ball is going to be so well distributed, maybe he still performs to value, but there could be greater like value. Floor, yeah, I, I just think his ceiling maybe isn't as high as some people think it is, just because. I think the ball is going to move. And look, by the way, I think you can make a similar assertion about McCaffrey. Now he's. I, got I was a, just going. That was going to be the follow-up. Does this yeah, impact no, but, McCaffrey? But right. I, I now I could be wrong about this, but I think again, Robbie Anderson. I don't know if everybody really understands just how explosive Robbie Anderson is downfield. Mm. I think some people maybe don't quite grasp it because he's you know he hasn't put a full season together. He's been a jet. He also is a major gas head. Let's not be <laughs> – I mean, we don't want to roll the quote machine on Robbie Anderson. <laughs> Some of those quotes are, you know, not for kids. Um, so, you know, he's a volatile player off the field. But if you just look at what he can do physically, I, you know, 
Robbie Anderson is one of the more talented receivers in the NFL. I think a lot of people just don't know it. Yeah. You know, they know it. They've, you know, they know that he can do explosive things on a single game basis. DFS people know it for sure. Of course. Um, but I'm not sure if seasonal people are totally up with just how talented Robbie Anderson is. Um, so here's and Samuel as well. Now, Curtis Samuel is, doesn't have tremendous ball skills, but his ability to shake people downfield is ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. if you watch some of his deep shots that, that Allen blew last year. Wait a minute. Was, was Allen their quarterback? Yep, yeah, Kyle Allen. Allen. Yep. yep. Right. I get my Allen's confused. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, some of those deep balls were bad. Like, they were nowhere near him, okay? So, like, if you had had just any competent quarterback, I I, personally, I think, let's put it this way. Curtis Samuel earned 10 touchdowns last year. Mm. He earned 10 touchdowns. His quarterback took several away from him. Yeah. Um, You know, um, so... There's a lot of metrics, too, yeah, about, like, if you go into the stats that match that tape about how he had by far the worst catchable ball rate the worst, like, you know, QB accuracy on deep passing. I mean, it was all horrendous. So, yes, it, it can only be better. And Terry McLaurin's the other guy where it's like, yep. wow, this guy earned touchdowns that never happened. Yeah. Um, so the reason I'm getting into this, you're talking about a lot of downfield, downfield explosiveness, like of the Will Fuller variety, mm. just explosive athletes downfield. That really really makes McCaffrey dangerous. Right. Because you can get him the ball on all these little cheap, like gimme routes. And you're, I mean, he's going to get a lot of just buffer yards. Yeah. You know? So I, 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 there, I think there is something to the fact of, yeah, an ensemble offense, the ball gets spread. He may lose looks here and there, but I just think the nature of it helps him a lot. Last year, teams were keying on him. If you key on McCaffrey, you're going to get hurt. Yep. You can only key on him so much the way this team is set up. Exactly. That's kind of my, my take on him too is I, there's no way he's going to get that 403 touches again. And right. we shouldn't expect that. And I don't think he's going to why need would that. Want to? Why, why would you do that when you have all these other weapons? And as you're saying – all the other weapons around him are going to make those touches that much more productive, that much more space is going to be afforded to him. So even if he does drop 50 touches, let's say 350 now, the efficiency I think is going to spike because of everything you're saying. I mean, he put up 19 touchdowns in the 20th scoring offense last year. Imagine if this offense does, it is the next McVay and they do turn into top 10, even top five potential with all the weapons they have. I mean, how many touchdowns would he put up in that scenario? So I, I'm a fully yeah. on board with what you're saying there. The, the thing that just every time I look at this offense, I start getting excited because it fits. Yeah. Everything just fits really well. The, the, these guys are pretty smart. <laughs> I mean, the decisions they've made exactly. from, last, from the end of last season to right now, I mean – in, in my view, they're very impressive. I mean, not like it's one thing to say team X has Y talent, but it's so much. Th- this team has Y talent that fits like it all works together. Um, like like when I was talking about Denver, um, an article I wrote a couple weeks ago, you know, it's 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 great to have two great receivers. Yeah. But Denver has two great receivers where their their route structure fits together. Like. Mm. Cortland Sutton's skill set. Oh, we're getting to Denver. Don't get too, don't get too ahead of yourself. We're getting there. All right, forget the specific names. But you can have two receivers where the where their route, 
where their their dominant routes complement each other. Yeah. Right. So you've got a guy who can lift like you, you put a guy like Henry Ruggs um, next to a guy like Jarvis Landry. That's a nice fit. Yeah. Right. Or next to a guy like um, Calvin Ridley. You know, right. you put a route technician technician with a guy who's explosive vertically. Now these two guys, not only are is are they both eight out of tens on a grading scale, but they're synergy. Yeah. So when I'm playing at an eight, it makes you a nine. And when you're playing at an eight, it makes me a nine. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? It, it makes the, our skill sets in combination force tougher choices on the defense. So Absolutely. It, it, it's, it's, they put their offense together in such a way where not only are all these players good and not, not only do all these players work within the scheme, they work contrasted against one another inside the scheme. That's dangerous. And, you know, and I thought the Giants yeah. had that, by the way, when they had Saquon and Beckham and when they had a healthy Ingram, like that offense had huge potential uh, to do that kind of thing. Unfortunately, their play calling and rap design was vanilla. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and so when you get an offense like that, I mean, yes, obviously the aerial pie is going to be huge. It's a matter of how is it distributed. I guess the easy answer to that is take Teddy Bridgewater, though, so let's not worry about who's leading the targets this week and who's the one that blows up. Just take Teddy Bridgewater, who's going at quarterback 26 right now, yet is getting the perfectly – it's insane to me. I have him at quarterback 13, actually. I'm all all in on Teddy Bridgewater because of all these things you're saying, uh, you know, perfectly. Yeah. What about you, Adam? Yeah. Um, I've got him right now, I think, around 15, 16. Yeah, I'm I'm all in. I mean, he's the guy I'm going to end up with in every draft just because he's QB 26. If I have him at 13, I'm not going to pay that. But I was just last round, no, you aren't actually paying those. No, prices, I'm not, that, I'm not stupid enough to do that. But it's just if I can get him in the last round, I'm going to take him in every single draft. I, I think he's that one that could blow up late. To me, especially too, you, you got to. We haven't even talked about the fact that that defense is probably still going to be pretty horrendous, and they're in maybe the most shout out like a shootout friendly. Uh, division there. I mean, it's just going to be point factory playing catch up. Like, I mean, I'm all about it. (laughs) That's it. No, you just hit it. It's more, that's more synergy. Yeah. That's where those, you put the two offenses together and now we get, it's like, you know, those, those, those fighting fish, you put them in the same tank. (laughs) Do you, yeah, exactly. Do you think (laughs) that, you know, there will be enough consistency? More is obviously the number one, is there going to be enough consistency with Robbie as explosive as he is, or is it going to still be kind of that Robbie Anderson that's, I can't trust him unless it's like, I'll throw him in the flex and hope for a hail Mary. What what do you kind of see it all playing out with him and Curtis Samuel even too? Most of Robbie Anderson's problems have been jets problems. Yeah. Um, And I think that that same thing for Sam Darnold, who I, who in my opinion has played way better than most people realize. Uh, I mean, some of it's ugly, but it's, it's, What's truly ugly is everything around him. Yeah, uh, the Jets are just a dumpster fire, or they have been. Um, so I, I think Anderson, as long as he is got his head in the right place, um, you know, as long as he stays off the police blotter, I think he's going to be great. Yeah. Um, but like you said, I mean, you've got five, in my opinion, because I, th- I I'm a big fan of Ian Thomas. Yeah. Uh, so they've got five very good skill players. So on a given play, all five of those guys can win mm-hmm. their route. Only one of them is going to get the ball. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that's the thing with this team is that, you know, the key thing is going to be Bridgewater finding the right guy. If he's efficient in that, 
then the efficiency should lead to volume, which should solve some of our problems. The, the one thing that I think is unlikely with this team is a scenario where volume just gets hardcore funneled to a player. Yeah. Think Keenan Allen that one year. Think think Adam Thielen that one year. Where Devontae Adams up. this year and Devontae last year. Devontae Adams yeah. last year. So I don't think this team is likely to create that receiver because they have – even if one of them goes down, they still have a strong pairing. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, I think, DJ, you know, DJ Moore would have to really, really break out. Yeah. You know, I think he's the one who's got the potential to do it. Um, you know, I like where's DJ Moore going right now uh, in, in, in most generic. He's right draft. around like round three round. type of guy. Yeah. Allen Robinson, Adam Thielen territory. Uh, but the other offense you brought up that I had to, I wanted to cut you off because I want to make sure we save these guys for when we talk about him is Pat oh, Shermer to the Broncos. Um, yeah. As you were emphasizing, they also have kind of this synergy, these wide receivers that could be perfect. The concern there is, is Pat Shermer going to be the guy to use them the right way? Um, and if so, what does that mean for Drew Locke? So, I mean, Shermer, he was molded under Andy Reid 10 years on his staff. He, he says, I got my appreciation for throwing the ball. It's how you, you know, score points efficient and explosively. Kind of backed it up when the, the team ranked top 12 in passing for seven of his 11 years. Last year, the Giants with a rookie quarterback were eighth with 24 pass plays of 30 yards. So there seems to be a little bit of putting the money where the mouth is that he wants to be explosive. The cabinet here, you started to say some of the names. You got Cortland Sutton. They draft Jerry Judy. You got the speed with Hamlin. You got Noah Fant from last year, a freakish tight end. So all of that is there. Do you have faith that Shermer will deploy him the right way? And if so, what does that mean for Drew Locke? Um, I have a, it's interesting. I've had sort of a, a love hate with Shermer because I don't like the way he used Barkley specifically. Yeah. Um, now he's had problems with the Giants. The Giants could, you know, under his tenure, they didn't have any talent on the offensive line. That's obviously a huge problem, and, and he couldn't overcome it. You know, obviously Eli not mobile, so there's all kinds of stuff going on there. Um, but when I went back and went through that article I was telling you about, I, I went back and looked at Shermer's history with quarterbacks, and it's it's pretty remarkable. Um, not only has he had success with almost every quarterback he's ever worked with, but so many of them have been young. Yeah. And so many of them have had their greatest success with Shermer. Like Don, Don, uh, Donovan McNabb had sort of two signature seasons. One of them, Shermer was the guy helping him. Um, you know, Colt McCoy's had one season in, in, in his entire career where he was close to good. It was with Shermer. Now, and, and Shermer didn't bring in McCoy. That was pre-existing stuff. He came in. It's like, wow, Colt McCoy, huh? Okay, well, let's see what we can do. And he made Colt McCoy function. Now, I mean, yeah. you know, look, making your offense work for a whole season with Colt McCoy is not – I'm not going to brush that under the rug. I'm going I'm to notice that. Yeah. Like, that's worth noting. You know, the only time Case Keenum has ever looked like a guy who should be starting was when this guy was designing the offense, Shermer. Mm-hmm. Right. And he did that on the fly. The Vikings, right. Yeah. Bradford, that was a Bradford offense. And they, you know, snap, turned it into a Keenum. That's right. Yeah. And if if you watch that offense, everything's hitting where Keenum throws the ball well. Everything's crossing. Everything's in breaking. Tons of Thielen. Right. And they made it work. 
They, yeah. they took his skill set. They're like, this is what this guy does well. We are going to run the ball. We're going to do a lot of stuff off boot and action. We're going to isolate, and we're going to get him clean throwing lines on in-breaking routes, and it worked. And he was really good. I mean, I don't know the numbers in front of me, but it was like, you know, it was like 22 touchdowns to like seven picks or something like He crushed it that year. I remember, yeah. Right? Yep. And, when, and then if you think about that, think of Nick Foles. And think of the only time Nick Foles has ever played a full season and looked really good. It was under Chip Kelly. And guess who was the OC? Sure. Sherman. So this guy has an ability. And I think we can connect this to you. With, you already connected him with Andy Reid. This goes back to Andy Reid. You know, Andy Reid got legitimate trade compensation for Kevin Cobb. He got legitimate <laughs> trade you know, revenue from, remember A.J. Feely? <laughs> Google the freaking name, okay? Right. He got, like, second-round picks for A.J. Feely. Oh, like, my God. The way, like, if somebody went down for Reed, they bring in some freaking ham and egg quarterback, and they're trading for a second-round pick eight weeks later. That's, you know, Reed and Shermer have found a way to do that. And, you know, and then we saw what Reed did with Alex Smith. I mean, mm-hmm. They can do things with marginal quarterbacking talent. It's and impressive. So, what's Drew Locke? Is he going to be a marginal? Has well, he got the arm? What do you? How do you think he's going to end up fitting this all? We haven't even touched all the buttons. You know, Sam Bradford. Right. If you look at the times where Bradford has looked really good. Shermer's been the guy. Um, we go to Daniel Jones last year, and what did he do for Keenum? In breaking routes, everything into his kitchen, everything into his hot zone. Well, he, you know. His next quarterback is Daniel Jones, right? Does Jones throw all those routes that Keenum's throwing? No. Jones is throwing outside the numbers, down the field. Yeah. Right? Because that's the skill set they saw. Jones is running. They're, they're taking, like, well, what does this kid do well? That's what we're going to do. You have to like that. Oh, yeah. In an offensive coordinator. He's got he's to, I want my guy doing what he does well so I can attack. Exactly. We like that. So when we see, you know, and I really like what Denver has. You mentioned it. They've got a tight end who can pop the lid. Mm-hmm. They've got a receiver who can crush with routes. They've got a receiver who you can throw at when he's covered. They've got slot receivers. One of them is a technician from Penn State, right, Hamilton. The other one mm-hmm. is this explosive, you know, you know, gadget guy, whatever you want to call Hamler, but he's got all these traits that you can use to manipulate a defense. So – there's a lot of things that work and they brought in, you know, Melvin Gordon's not the best receiver ever at the running back position, but he's a very good process receiver. Mm-hmm. He runs his routes correctly. He gets his body position correctly. He's good at catching, getting downfield. Um, he's a good pass protect guy. He knows the play. Nice guy to have with an inexperienced quarterback. So, you know, like, you know, if it was Lindsay and Freeman, like, you know, young players, young quarterback. But now they've got a guy who played for years with Phillip Rivers back there. Like, if you play with Phillip Rivers, you know what's going to happen. Or Rivers is going to dress you down in the huddle, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think the Melvin thing actually works. Um, and, and, you know, another thing, I, I don't know if enough people talk about this or know about it, but they brought Munchak back to coach the offensive line. Offensive line, line Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's an interesting thing. If you go through their coach room on offense, they've got four ex-head coaches. Yeah. David Shula is a head coach. Munchak, no, a failed head coach, but a head coach. Munchak's a failed head coach, but a head coach. Shermer's an ex-head coach. Um, and um, it's, no, I'm missing something. Oh, yeah. And, and you've got the head coach. So 
I mean, yeah. you've got four guys on this staff who have head coached in the NFL. Now, some people will get hyped, hyped up on, well, they all lost their jobs. And maybe they are Peter Principal guys where they're really not head coaching. But they're, they're, the reason they became head coaches is because they're really good. They do something well. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. So now we've got them back at the jobs they do well. Munchak, with Skarnekia now retired from New England, he might be the best offensive line coach I think out. He is, yeah. Yeah. He's really good. If you go back and look at what he did in Pittsburgh, it's some impressive freaking stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at Denver last year, their run blocking schemes were good. Yeah. And what's not with a great offensive line? Right. So Munchak has an ability to A, get everybody coordinated, which is really important, and B, he has a tendency to get people to overperform. So offensive line is their talent weakness. They've got maybe the best coaching strength with that weakness helps a ton. Um, yeah, they, also, they they vaulted last year, I believe, from like 20th in pro football focus to 12th. And then they add Graham Glasgow, who's probably the best guard, one of the best guards available this year. So, I mean, right. should only be better in year two, pretty much continuous except a better talent injection. And they should be healthier. And they should um, be healthier. So, I mean, you've so, painted this picture, right? Like everything's yeah. perfect around Drew Locke. Everything, the coaching, <laughs> the weapons cabinet, the line. Is he good enough? Is he going to take that step and think, and thrive in this perfect situation? I think he is. And while it's on my head, um, we talked about um, the NFC South. AFC mm. West. Shoot up. It's not quite the NFC South, but clearly Oakland is um, engaging a little, in a little bit of an arms race. Yeah. Uh, Denver clearly is doing it, I think. And, and if you watch Fangio's press conferences, he's open about this. Yeah. If we can't score in the 30s, we can't be the best team in the division. You got Pat Mahomes in there, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's and all these monsters. So they're, they're arming up. That's, I, I don't see how that could be anything but a positive. Mm. Um, uh, as for Locke, I've always liked him physically. Um, I think some people look at his up-and-down college career and they see it as a negative. There's negative aspects to it. But the positive thing is that he played for a different offense every year in college. He had to switch offenses in the SEC. And the one thing that kept that offense going is Locke. Mm-hmm. He wasn't throwing to Jerry Judy and, you know, um, you know, Cortland Sutton or, or any guys like that. He, you know, he was throwing, you know, to guys like Hall, who's, you yeah. know, a nice athlete, but he dropped the ball a lot. Um, you know, he had a bunch of guys out there who were, you know, decent athletes so Locke has been you know playing in front of big SEC crowds against teams that are generally better than his he's held up to that um so he knows what it's like to be a front man on a big spot yeah against a good team I'm not worried about him being sort of overwhelmed he also knows about relearning an offense every single year um, so he's actually going to have more continuity this year with Munchak coming back. Um, he, yes, the guy calling the plays is going to be different, but we know that Shermer's pretty good at saying, okay, what do my guys do well? Yeah. And he has tended to structure not around necessarily the skill talent, but the quarterback himself. So to your point, first of all, if Locke bombs, there's not going to be a lot of excuses. None. Um, <laughs> And, but I don't think he will bomb. I think he will probably do pretty well. He's a really good athlete. I think people don't realize how fast he is. Like he's got so, legitimate foot speed. So is there um, some Konami also, code upside there? A little bit of rushing I, I yardage? I don't know if it's Konami code, but I definitely think he can 
to the like I don't think there's any reason we can't see the kind of running we saw with Daniel Jones. Yeah. I don't see there's no reason we can't see that. Um and then the other thing is he's got plus mobility to buy him time. Yeah. And you've got some guys who are out there running good routes. Judy's a guy who knows how to work back to the quarterback. So um, this offense should work for him. Um, it's If all he needs to do is get the ball out of his hands, get the ball to his, his playmakers. Um, Drew Locke has got a pro arm, and then mm. some. I think a lot of people maybe don't realize how mobile he is, how big he is. I mean, Drew Locke's around 230 pounds. He's not some little quarterback. Um, so, you know, he's got the – and he's about 6'4", if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, he's got good vision. He can see over the line. Um, he has pretty good touch. Um, in the screen game and the screen game is going to be important in this offense because your ability to run the ball sets up screen and that, you know, Melvin Gordon's really good in the screen game. We saw that like proven over and over and over again with him and rivers. Um, and they ran a lot of screens to fan last year. Mm. So I think, you know, you can pick up a lot of cheap stats with screens to fan and Gordon. Um, I think, your red zone capability is off the charts with guys like Sutton and Fant and Judy. So, yeah, I mean, I, I feel pretty good. I mean, you said Bridgewater is your value quarterback guy. For me, I had, I had, I had four guys. I had Bridgewater, Locke, um, well, three guys, Bridgewater, Locke, and Garoppolo. Unfortunately, Garoppolo now is a little damaged. Yeah. Um, but like I was, my plan on quarterback was to just kick back and wait for those guys. Yeah, I, I love the all that list. I like Daniel Jones as a value too right now. Um, he's interesting. He's yeah. interesting. We're going to talk about him next time. I think right? uh, we will. Yeah, we'll talk about Jason Garrett and what that means. Yeah. Um, it, we've highlighted a bunch of the weapons. How do you see it shaking out? Like last year, Cortland Sutton target hog, but he's really also all he right. had. And yeah, Fant was obviously there, but a rookie tight end. Decent yeah. translate, you know. So is Sutton still going to be that beast alpha, or now that Judy's there, is it going to be kind of like that Panther situation where it might be tough to project one true guy and it just get locked because he has all the weapons? I, th- I mean, I definitely think Sutton's the guy you want. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're going to have price tags we're going to have to deal with. Um, in the drafts I've been in, I've seen Sutton in the fifth round. I got no problem with that. Yeah. Uh, Sutton in the fifth for me. Um, he may not have the upside of some other fifth round guys, but I think the floor is really strong. Yeah. So for me, Sutton in the fifth is my second receiver. I love that. Giddy um, up, yeah. You know, but yeah, I definitely think there's some some parallels between the Panthers and here, where I think a lot of people need to be fed. Yeah, a lot of mouths to feed. One thing that has often been fed under Shermer is the running back. I mean, he's been, I like to call him the bell cow breeder. Scott Barrett released even just yesterday, very timely, that if you compared Pat Shermer's RB1s in terms of weighted opportunities, they would have been uh, eighth at 17.7 weighted opportunities per game. I mean, six of his last, of his 10 lead backs have been top 10 in fantasy points per game. That's not just because he's had monsters like McCoy. Uh, he also had Trent Richardson be RB7 in fantasy points per game. So, I mean, this guy has right. made, it's a centric, it's a volume centric thing, but there's also Lindsay there too. So he's, he's certainly right. not a slouch. 
Do you think, you know, Shermer continues kind of his bell cow ways and just Melvin Gordon is that guy? He's RB17 right now, so I think a lot of people are nervous about Lindsey being there. Right. I personally am all about Melvin Gordon. We talked about round three, DJ. I'm going Melvin Gordon round three every time. Are you on that train too? Is, is Shermer going to keep riding a, tr- a guy, or what do you think about that? Well, yeah, let's think through this. It, look, if Melvin Gordon was going to be the main guy, he was going to get everything, then he should be going at the one-two turn. Yeah. I think. Absolutely. I mean, if, if Melvin Gordon's going to be getting 20 carries a week plus targets, he should be going between 10 and 14 overall, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's going in the third, which to me says Philip Lindsay's people are projecting Lindsay for like six to 10 touches a week or something like that. I think that's probably right. Yeah. Um, but I think that the key thing, I think, is that the money touches are actually targets, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, uh, Scott Barrett was on my pod just a couple of weeks ago. We were having some whiskey, talking some football. Um, and we talked about, you know, a touch is not a touch. Yeah. A reception is much better than a carry. I think the receptions are going to Gordon and the carry. And Gordon is, I think, going to get most of his rest on early downs. Mm-hmm. That's my guess. I think most of Lindsay's touches are going to be carries. I think a higher percentage of touches will be receptions um, for Gordon. I think that's going to give him the value. I think he's going to get about two-thirds of the juice, but I think he's going to get a high percentage of the pass juice. Yeah. So, yes, I think third round is a good spot for him. I'm very comfortable taking him there. And the, and the goal line juice, never mind that. I mean, he's one of the best power backs. He, he pounds yeah. it in quite often. And Lindsay's not a, a slouch there either, but you got to imagine no, Melvin that Gordon. That was kind of what the, the head coach said when we, we signed this guy because he scored a million touchdowns against us. We love his, his nose for the end zone. So, I mean, between the receptions, between the, the goal line touches, if this offense takes off, like if Luck is that guy or Locke is that guy and all these weapons, everything is beautifully married, I mean, there's probably – 12, 15 touchdown upside, no, for Melvin Gordon? No, I, de- I definitely think he's got that kind of upside if it clicks. And, uh, you know, Lindsey's a really good guy down near the goal line. He's really good at finding that little crease. Very different goal line yeah, carrier. True. It, it, so, so two things. A, that approach may work better against certain defenses. So there might be weeks where they true. decide to use more of Lindsey inside the five because they just think he fits the matchup better. Um, I could see him getting touchdowns like sort of the way Ingram gets the first touchdown for the Ravens. And then sometimes other guys will get touchdowns. I could see that being a thing. Um, my guess is that Gordon get like, gets like a two, one, two to one advantage on carries inside. That'd be my guess. Absolutely. Nothing other than a guess though. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. I, I think, yeah, again, one of the better third round values you can get. And again, even if you already have a running back, even two running backs at that point, like if you play flex, I have no problem going running back, running back, running back because of how much depth we keep emphasizing. As, it, it, the as wide receivers, as can, so many. Yeah, as yeah. long as I can play them, absolutely. The key thing is how do you break your running backs down? I think too many people um, look at touches generically. Yeah. And, if you play, even if it's a 0.5 PPR league, you, you really have to break your touches out. What's going to be the percentage of, of, of receptions in those touches? It's so important. Yeah. Um, and not just from a point scoring perspective. You know, if my, if my back is getting more receptions, then he's not getting hammered as much, too. Yeah. You don't take as much damage when you're catching the football versus running between the tackles. So we love it when our running backs are getting targeted. It, it's so great. Um, and, you know, don't forget to do that math when you're 
you know, um, breaking things out. I mean, last year, I like, for example, I had Chubb in the first round last year. Not many people did um, because I knew that Hunt wouldn't be back until pretty late in the season. You know, this year Hunt's going to be there week one. So I've got Chubb around the bend, mm-hmm. even though I know Ch- I love Chubb. Um, but I know that his target upside is is capped. I know it is. Yeah. Yeah. That that series, you mentioned Scott Barrett. I mean, his series weighted opportunities and, and all that is crucial reading for any fantasy owner, even if you're not a, technically a stats guy. It's huge to understand the, the overview of the position. Why don't we go to uh, the guy you know the best then, Chan Gailey, as a Jets fan. You, you've had a couple years with this guy. Uh, hey, you know what? I don't dislike Chan Gailey. Um, I don't either, it, no. I think know, it's one it, of my favorite, my sneaky favorite hirings of this offseason. I really like Chan Gailey. I mean, the last time out wasn't pretty. 2016 of the Jets, they were 26 in yards, 30th in points. But I, you kind of alluded to already, there was a lot of injuries. Decker got taken out, Forte, yeah. uh, Forte got hurt early. And then B. Marsh kind of just becomes unmotivated. You know how he is with the synergy. That synergy factor right, certainly right. was not there at all for that team. But a year before, they were 10th and 11th in, in yards and points, respectively. He's got kind of this spread attack. And, and it's really interesting with some certain trends there. So why don't we kind of start with the, the wide receivers? You already alluded to it. It seems like at most often and does funnel to a number one wide receiver. Uh, you know, recently, Bo saw 157 targets. Stevie J, 141, 134, 148. B-Marsh, 173. So, I mean, uh, in his what, recent offenses. What, you know, yeah. one, one, key, one key number on that B-Marsh, 173, you said. What did Decker have that same season? Do you have it at your I, fingertips? I have – Decker had 12 touchdowns. Uh, I don't have the exact targets, but it was over okay. 100. It, it, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was well over 100. Yeah, I think it was like um, right around 120. It might have been 129, I want to say. Yeah, I mean, anyway, the basic point is that offense was just designed to get the ball to Marshall and Decker. Now, they put a lot of other window dressing guys out there in the formation, but they were there to draw coverage. Mm-hmm. To to and, and sometimes formations are about allowing quarterbacks to define things, Yeah. right? Force defenses to spread out. Now we know where all the pieces are. The quarterback can make a better decision on who he wants to target. Gailey does that a lot. Um, and I think I think it's important to look at Gailey in terms of what he has to work with. Yeah. Because I think it's, it's going to have so much to do with that. So, you know, people will talk about him not targeting tight ends. And, you know, it's true. Like to a scary extent, mm-hmm. like he makes he makes Arians look like a bubble gummer. <laughs> yeah. But you also have to look at the depth charts on those teams. Yeah. You know, like 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 the big name tight end in Buffalo was Scott Chandler. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how many people remember Scott Chandler, um, but he was the big name. You know, when when he was with the Jets, the big name was Jeff Cumberland. Yeah, <laughs> Jeff Cumberland. You know, I, they had Austin Zafarian Jenkins for like a week, and I think he was drying out at that time. So, you know, if he had targeted the tight ends heavily, you would probably be saying, "What's he doing?" So, yeah, there's some of that. And then if we go further back into his career, look at the year he was with Tony Gonzalez. I mean, Gonzalez, I think caught like 100 balls or something. Yeah, like crushed that. it. Absolutely crazy. So, you know, we've seen that. He will use the talent on hand. I don't think he's going to take a good tight end and not use him because of the scheme. I really don't think it's going to happen. So, you know, would I lean in on Gusecki and move him up my board? No. Would I move him down my board? Absolutely not. I I would be very much okay taking Gusecki. I think he's going to be fine. 
Absolutely. I think he's going to be one of the players they work towards. And it could be – there's a lot of stats out towards the second half of the year. I wish I had him right in front of me, but he was playing the slot on you know 60%, 70% of the snaps and tight end five and fantasy scoring for those like second half of the games when they finally started to really use this guy. So I think, yeah, I'm, I'm all about that if this is that Chan Gailey spread attack and, and he's we see Gusecki getting split out a bunch and why wouldn't you, a freak athlete like him? I'm all aboard it. I'm not going to follow that. You know, we talk about correlation traps. Right. So, so that could be potentially one. If, 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 it's, if it's third and 10 and Gusecki's in the slot, is he even a tight end at that point? I mean, he's a no. tight end of my fantasy roster, but for all practical purposes, he's a big slot. He's, a, he's just a receiver. Exactly. So, you know, I think, and that's something that we have to look at with a lot of these coordinators when it comes to tight ends. I mean, if we go back to the Buffalo point of view, tight ends, had, they were just beginning the tight end expansion back then. Yeah. You know, guys like Dallas Clark and, you know, the Jets head guy like Dustin Keller, if you can remember him. Um, you know, we were starting to see that big slot tight end emerge back then. Um yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think we have to sort of – tight ends are a little different now than they were then. We're like a whole decade down the line. Um, and I think, you know, you look, if, the, if you look at all the four receiver sets that Gailey ran with the Jets, if the Jets had had Gusecki, I feel pretty confident that those would have been Gusecki and three receivers. Yeah, I, I totally agree too. And, and- Coming back to those Jets teams, I mean, he had a couple monstrous targets, B. Marsh, Eric Decker. We look at the composition of the Dolphins right now. Devontae Parker exploded last year. I mean, number two wide receiver after week seven on when Fitzpatrick took over. Only Michael Thomas scored more than this guy. So finally we see that breakout out of Parker. Who knows if that will be prolonged or not. (laughs) I did a scouting report on Devontae Parker and he came out. I called him the sure thing. And yeah. so there's no way this guy – I'm like, this guy has NFL talent. It's too real to not happen. And then for I don't know how – it was four or five years I just had to go – took a while for him to realize it. But hey, it, it la- he looked as real as can be. I mean he was putting Stefan Gilmore in a blender as a Patriots fan. Week 17 kind of ruined our hopes yeah, for a bye. Yeah. Well, I, I, was, I, I was actually about to say before I went on that tangent, I'm sorry, um, that he showed an ability to be that kind of player that we're going to talk about. Yeah, so why don't we break them down? What do you think? And we also talked about Preston Williams, too, so why don't we kind of lump them both in here? Because you said he was your number one pre-combine receiver, too. So we got two big boys that have good scouting grades by you. So how do you see it all fitting in with Chan? Um, Well, Parker's got more experience, more of a track record. If I'm not mistaken, I think he's a little bigger. Um, Not much, but I think he's got a little... I think Williams might be 6'5", and Parker's 6'3". I think Parker's a little thicker, though. That's that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, um, gotcha. So, I mean, I think Parker's already shown the ability to be a volume weapon when teams are saying, let's stop the volume weapon, and he's still picking a volume. Yeah. That's a good thing to see and understand. So, like, what we were talking about, the things that we hope for for a guy like DJ Moore, I think, you know, if, if we played this season out 10 times, I think we could get that plus target scenario with Parker in this scheme maybe three or four times. Mm-hmm. So I think he's got like that 30 to 40 percent ability to maybe pull into that 140 target, 135 target area. Um, now, if Preston Williams, if Preston, if Preston Williams stays healthy, takes another step forward, then he could diminish that because the ball yeah. has to swing both ways. And so, you know, I think some of that will be dependent on health of the other players and so on and so forth. But I definitely think that um, Parker has that ability. What's his ADP on your board, by the way? 
He's been falling to like wide receiver 25 or so, 60th or so overall. So right around that fifth round range, which I think he's the guy I'm going every time round five if he's sitting there, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I might be like, I might get greedy with him. And, and like if I'm early six, I might try to push him down into that spot, see if I get lucky. Yeah. Just cause, I don't know about you, but every time really good players keep slipping into the early six. It's um, crazy. I've got McLaurin there. McLaurin, exactly. You know, it's 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 bizarre. Um, yeah, I mean, the fifth round for receivers is so good. Insane. It's so good. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean. Um, so you don't think it was a fluke though? Last year, what we were seeing from Parker, where he was no. bossing like Gilmore. No. <laughs> I, I expected a lot sooner. Um, look, yeah. Part of, it's, part of it's the Dolphins, and and part of it, I think. Look, the, the player has to own some of this. He wasn't in great shape. I don't know how hard he was working. It's possible that he wasn't working hard enough. One thing that maybe I didn't, and there's a lot of things you have to look at. When he came out of Louisville, the one thing I probably didn't do the math on was what's going to happen to Devontae Parker when he doesn't have Teddy Bridgewater on his case. Mm -hmm. Teddy Bridgewater is one of those guys, when he's your quarterback, he is on your shit. Right. Dude, be on time to freaking practice. Show up to the throwing sessions. You know, you're, you and I are going out to eat tonight, and we're going to talk about routes. Like, that's Teddy. Teddy lives it. And Parker, probably, when he was with Bridgewater in Louisville, he lived it. And then when he went and got the freedom as a pro player and a whole lot of money, he may have stopped living it to that degree. Yeah. Those were a little bit lost at sea. They had all kinds of problem kids. Remember that offensive line? Remember the crap that was going on on that team? Right. <laughs> so it's ridiculous. Right. He might have been the wrong player to throw into a circus environment yeah. without his college buddy. Like if he had gone to Minnesota with Teddy, he might have had a totally different run. I, I, yeah. I mean, this is nickel psychology, but looking at things from you know, the standpoint of having seen it played out, um, the, the Dolphins might have been a bad place for him to go. Yeah, A place absolutely. with structure might have been better for him. And you, you highlighted – I mean, absolutely, yeah. And once he finally turned it all on, it, it seemed to click. So I'm, I'm in the same boat. I think it did click. I'm gonna bet the discount that his, the, the people are baking into his price because of those inconsistencies. But the, the yeah. big, the big other counter that everyone brings up when I bring up Parker is Preston Williams, as you said, who I do also love as a talent. I don't see why it can't be like a B. Marsh, Eric Decker, where wide receiver three, wide receiver 14. I mean, obviously that would be insane, but they're still both big bodies. Fitzmagic was the quarterback back then. If he's not the quarterback, it's probably a good thing because Tua is that much better. I don't know. Do you, do, is there a way they can both coexist and Parker still is a, a top guy and Williams can still get his too? Uh, I definitely think that's possible. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think it's possible that they both end up being like, solid fantasy receivers in the in the three area they may both pull in between 28 and 36 overall you know yeah and, that, and and that'll be and so you have to like i think that's sort of what you have to sort of put in your head as a drafter you know the more you lean in the more risk you're taking obviously that's true with anybody but you know i think if, if you're banking on volume upside for parker you are taking a risk yeah i 
I feel that. And and surprisingly, the last one thing I want to cover here with is the run game under Gary. Yeah. Is you, you picture a spread offense and all you think is passing and off. His run games have been incredible. I mean, you, you highlight the he importance of he loves the pound it. I mean, and you highlight the importance. We can't just like look at a bygone era. But when he was coaching from you know eighty nine, he's he's coaching right as I was born in two thousand one. Anytime he was the play caller, his lead back had at least three hundred and twelve touches in that workhorse era. Uh, a bunch of them, six of eight, saw three forty or more. So he was kind of bred in that system. Now it is a different time, a different era, but still Fred Jackson had a season where he was on pace for 2,200 yards, 10 TDs, 334 touches before he got hurt. He was the running back four in fantasy before going down. CJ Spiller had his one year where he was actually a thing. Um, 250 touches, 1,700 yards, eight TDs, RB9, no worries. Um, Ivory led the AFC in rushing yards that year with the Jets. Um, And then, you know... CJ Spiller. CJ, that yeah, CJ Spiller had that one year where he was an actual thing. I'm sorry. Uh, did you mention it? When I, I did. While you were leaning phone? down, yeah, sorry exactly. About, sorry about that. <laughs> no Spiller, like, like, I think one of the guys we need to go to school on though is Spiller. Yeah. Because Spiller, he's an indicator. Yeah. Because Gailey said, "I've got a guy who's got talent. I don't love him between the tackles. I love him in space." And this is before Spiller suffered the leg injuries that sort of took some of his explosiveness away. But he found a way to get a lot of value out of C.J. Spiller. So I think that's important. It's another indicator that what Gailey does is the first thing he does is like, okay, where are my great athletes? That's one of the first things he does. Mm -hmm. Where are my great athletes? How can I get get production out of my great athletes? So, um, you know, I think that's why you won't see him waste Kaseki. Yeah. He, He, and I think the same thing with the running backs. I think, He's going to see the value of pounding Howard. Yeah. But he's also going to see the the value of getting Brita in space. Um, And I think he's – one of the things about Matt Brita that I think people don't – I don't know, respect or understand or whatever is that he's a really good runner. Yeah. Um, He's got really good vision. He trusts the play. And he knows – he's really good at sticking with the play just long enough. Mm-hmm. But he has a really good feel of when it's time to say, okay, I've ridden this. Now it's time to break free. Um, I love that in him. And sometimes he finds – when he finds a lane, he's <laughs> got speed and heart. And, and I, I love the way he runs. So, you know, this is a really good chance, I think, for both of these backs. And I think Gailey's the kind of coordinator who can have both of these guys with, you know, fringe RB2 value, something like that. I think both of them have a chance. Um, and I would be surprised if either one of them were functional for fantasy. A hundred percent. I mean, Forte and Bilal Powell were both twenty top twenty four in fantasy Brady's points right. per game. So right. it's like, it, why is Howard going RB thirty eight? Why is Breida going RB forty two? When at minimum one of them is probably going to be valuable, if not potentially both of them. So those I, I'm locking into this backfield, especially with the line improvements they made. If I had to go, if you had to go one or the other, I mean, I, again at cost, I've been taking both in a lot of drafts and just seeing how it plays out. And maybe I'll end up using both, but at cost. It, it, which of those guys, if you had to pick one of them, Brita or Howard, they're right around the same price point. Who would you take the plunge on? That's a tough question. It's really tough. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, it really is because I think I, I, I happen to like Jordan Howard more than the average person does. So, yeah. Um, well, what do you like about him? What do you what's your what's your kind of take for him? I just think I just you know he's just sort of an underrated runner. You know, yeah. he's, I know he's not exciting, but um, you know he's, he hits it hard. Um, yeah. he, he's another guy who he runs it the way the coaches want it. Coaches like running backs who don't go off the menu. 
Yeah. <laughs> and he's a guy who doesn't go off the menu. He just runs hard. Um, and he he's a tackle breaker. Yeah. And, you know, Jordan Howard breaks tackles not with elusiveness. He breaks <laughs> tackles with sort of a straightforward <laughs> nature. He's very tough to move off his spot. He's got a good center of gravity. He holds his position well. Yeah. Um, and you see a lot of just guys who go for it just fall off him. Yeah. You don't really make much of a dent. Um, so, I, you know, I just think he's going to get volume. The one thing I think you – know, I, I have trouble envisioning much work at the strike for Brita. I think that's the one thing that might, you know, push me towards Howard. I guess the way – here's what I would say. If you really like the Dolphins' offense and you think it's going to work, probably Howard. Yeah, a lot of touchdowns. You know, um, but here, here's, here's the thing about the Dolphins that's vexing me. I'll be honest. I think for the for the running back target thing, which I think is a real thing, the more games with Fitzmagic, the better. Yeah. I like Tua. I'm not trying to dog Tua. But rookie quarterbacks tend to forget about the running back a little bit, especially early on. They tend to run rather than look for the, for the yeah. running back. Where, you know, Fitzpatrick is – he will find that running back all freaking day. And he did it yeah. under Gailey. He's the guy who found all those running backs with the Jets. Yeah. So, you know, if we, you know, if we find out that Fitzmagic is starting early in the season for some reason, mm-hmm. and I mean, hey, I mean, Tua's got this hip thing and there's no camp. And I mean, is it outrageous that, I mean, I don't know. Give him a bench here. Yeah. Let him red shirt, well, you know. <laughs> but even if it's like a bench month. Half season. Even, yeah. <laughs> for half season. Yeah. That's going to be – it's going to be a pretty big deal. I mean for DFS. I mean if, if Ryan Fitzpatrick is the opening league quarterback, I'm definitely looking at those Dolphin running backs if they're cheap in DFS. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So you know that, I, that, that could be a real factor. You know, yeah. When Magic is starting, I think the targets for the running backs will go up. 100%. Yeah, both guys, again, great values. I like scooping them both, but I, I'm with you. I think I have, I have Howard slightly higher in my rankings, though I do love that Brita, like Spiller kind of speed and space, that envisioning it. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe Brita has the ceiling. Yeah. Like, like the thing about Brita is if he hits, like if he really hits, he could take 55% of the gig and get most of the pass catching part. And, you know, he could be – he could legitimately legitimately be an RB – a high-end RB too. Yeah, like absolutely. That's in, it's in his range of outcomes. The problem is uh, mid-range or low-end RB3 is also in his range of outcomes. Exactly, yeah. But so, and, you know, th- that's how you have to sort of – but when you're buying him as the RB42 after pick 100, though, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so well, and, and, Right, exactly. And so now we're going back to – and I am out of time. But we're back to Scott yeah. Barrett's ups, upside article. Yep. So if you're looking at a guy like Brita and – what's his ADP? Do you have it at your fingertips? What it was at Fantasy Pros, at least, was RB42 and 102. <laughs> okay. All right. So he's going after 100 players. So, yeah. right. so when I can get a guy with that kind of ceiling uh, around 110 – yeah, I mean that's th- these are the kind of players who can win you leagues. Absolutely, you know. I, I, I know you got to run, Pete, and I, yeah. I feel bad you holding you as long I, as I have. No, no, no. It's did you see the video I did last year for Derrick Henry? Did you ever see uh, that? I'm sure I did. Yeah, I, I always follow all your stuff. You know, like Matt Kelly over here asks us to do these. Oh videos. yes, I did. Yep, yep, yep. For the own underworld. Yeah, exactly. The player profiler. So yep. I asked for for Henry, and and the reason was mm-hmm. he was going at the three four turn. So if you can get a guy at the three four turn 
who could be a first rounder next year. That's your guy. Yeah. Like that, that's the question that goes through my mind. Like, okay, up, if this guy has the upside season on my board that I think he can have, where would he be drafted next year? If it's, if it's, if it's, if the guy can go from round five to round two, that's your guy. Yeah. Those are the league winners, the guys who can redefine their value this season. Yeah. Right. So you're not paying, like you're, you're, you buy them at their floor, but their season's three, four rounds higher. So Breed is a guy you, you're buying at his floor and his ceiling is fourth round. Yeah. Third take round. him next year. Exactly. Absolutely. hundred yeah. percent. Well, yeah. Pe- pe- yeah. I, I totally agree with you. It's huge ceiling, especially at the price. I mean, you're buying at a floor and you're, you could have a monster ceiling. I love it. Um, Pete, it's been an absolute pleasure breaking down these first three offenses. I'm looking forward to firing them back up tomorrow. I know you got to get running, but thanks so much for the time today. And, and I look forward to diving back in tomorrow, man. <laughs> Giddy up, man. It's all, dude, it's always fun talking to you. It's always fun talking. You know, the wolf got to (laughs) love. Love you, Pete. It's been a fantastic time, man. Have a great rest of your day. We'll catch you back up tomorrow, man. See you later, brother. Now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, oh, oh. And wave out to the crowd. And take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go. But at least we stole the show 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 Old-fashioned football right there, folks.